Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Five frightening unsolved murders in Italy. Italy is known for its food, beauty, and culture, but like any place in the world, it has a dark side. The cases on this list showcase the most unusual crimes that have happened in the country's history. These are five frightening unsolved murders in Italy. Number five, Moro de Moro. Earning the nickname of the inconvenient journalist, Moro de Moro is known for his fierce left-leaning slant. He was a supporter of Benito Mussolini's fascist regime and continued to support the Italian Social Republic in German-governed Northern Italy. From the 50s to the 70s, De Moro became a part of a group of investigative reporters at the newspaper Laura, leading the way in exposing connections between the Sicilian Mafia and corrupt politicians. In 1962, he was the first to release a detailed map of the Sicilian Mafia, confirmed to be true 22 years later by former member Tommaso Buschetta. He also republished a testimony from another mafia turncoat, medical doctor Melchiore Allegra, who testified of mafia activities. This put Amoro onto the mafia's hit list. In 1962, he investigated the death of ENI president Enrico Matti. Matti was president of the state-owned gas and oil conglomerate who died in a mysterious plane crash on October 27, 1962. A prominent figure who gathered the ear of several countries and agencies during his term, Matty's death was attributed to French extremist OAS, 
the CIA, and the Sicilian Mafia. DeMauro suspected Mati's aircraft was sabotaged. He managed to score an interview with Graziano Verzoda, a known politician and former right-hand man of Mati. But Verzoda was also friends to Mafia boss Giuseppe Di Cristina. In fact, he was the best man at his wedding. DeMauro told his colleagues at the newspaper, I have a scoop that is going to shake Italy to its core. But on September 16, 1970, DeMauro disappeared while heading home from work in Palermo. Thousands of police officers, helicopters, and dogs combed the city looking for him. Despite the huge search, though, no signs of him were ever found. Various mafia turncoats proclaimed DeMauro was killed by the mafia. They said he was killed for investigating Mati's death. Another said he was killed because he discovered a coup d'etat staged by one of his former fascist friends, Prince Junio Borghese. Yet another stated he was killed because of his reporting about the mafia. But it wasn't until 2006 when a murder trial for DeMauro's death was underway. Because of Francisco De Carlo's testimony, another mafia turncoat, the only living defendant was Salvatore Rina. But in 2011, Rina was acquitted of charges for kidnapping and ordering DeMauro's death. The court said there was insufficient evidence, and today, nobody knows for sure what happened to the young journalist. Number 4. Graziali Francini, a.k.a. Lolita Starting at age 15, Lolita was already offered a recording contract by record company Magic. The same year, she joined the Pesaro Song Festival and ended up winning because of her amazing talent and charm. Not only that, her young age and beautiful looks also won her billing on various musical television programs. In 1969, she participated in Festival di Napoli, where she became a finalist with two songs. She also joined the ARA musical show, Set of Ochi, which helped catapult her career further and spawned her hit, Come Le Rose. Her biggest break was when she partnered with one of the largest musical festivals in Italy, the San Remo Festival, in 1973. Soon the singer's career began to stall, though, and she disappeared from the limelight for over a decade. By the start of the 80s, she tried reviving her career. She rented a small villa in the tourist town of La Marinella, where she started performing again in the nearby towns. On the night of April 27, 1986, she was scheduled to perform a show. However, to her manager's shock, she never showed up. There was no word from her about why she was absent either. Since it was uncharacteristic of her not to say anything, those who worked with her started to worry. They tried calling, but there was no answer. They visited her home, but it was locked and no one was answering. Some of her friends got in touch with Dr. Michel Roperto, a gynecologist who was involved with the singer, but he also didn't know what happened to her. Then a friend of Lolita, Italo Montesanti, headed back to her home to see if he could go inside through the balcony or a small window. He circled the house and found a small window was open. Once inside, he noticed the television was still turned on. In the bedroom, there was a small tray with breakfast food, and the front door was locked from the inside. Apart from this, nothing else seemed unusual in the rooms. When he entered to check the bathroom, that's where he found her. Lolita was lying at the foot of the tub, half-naked and dead. 
Her face and body were completely disfigured from various cuts and contusions. Close to her body was a small bottle with a broken neck. Police theorize the singer was attacked soon after eating breakfast. The intruder, or intruders, had entered her home through the open window and attacked her as she was in the bathroom. But during the autopsy, the coroner discovered the singer didn't have any defensive wounds. Investigators think that there wasn't just one but two intruders, with one of them holding down the singer while the other killed her. Two prime suspects then emerged. It turns out Lolita's lover, Dr. Michel Roberto, wasn't single, but was actually engaged to a young medical student named Teresa Tropia. Roberto said when he told Teresa about Lolita, she got upset and almost became violent with him. He added that about a month before the singer was killed, Teresa, with her mother, Katerina, entered Lolita's home and began attacking her. The two pushed the singer to the bedroom and began hitting her with an iron bar. Both women admitted to attacking her, but they denied killing her. The two women were considered primary suspects, but there was no concrete evidence proving they committed the crime. Despite going to trial, the two women were acquitted up to the high court, so by Italian law, they did not commit the crime. And today, Lolita's death remains unsolved. Number 3. Wilma Montesi On April 9, 1953, Wilma Montesi headed out to take a walk. When she left her home, she was dressed nicely as if she was meeting somebody. She carried a bag with her, but not her ID card. She didn't wear any jewelry, not even the rings that her fiancé had given her. At around 5.30, several people said they saw her taking the train alone. As Wilma's sister and mom arrived home, they found out that Wilma hadn't come home for dinner. At 10.30 p.m., there was still no sign of her, so her family had to go to the hospital to see if she had gotten sick while out. When they couldn't find her there... They went to the police right away and reported her missing. Two days later, on April 11th, the woman's body was found at a beach in Torvianisa. The woman's head was underneath the water while her body was on the shore, and this lady was Wilma. During the autopsy, baffling questions cropped up. Wilma was found only partially dressed. She was barefoot, no longer wearing her skirt and stockings. Her garter belt was gone, as well as her bag. While she had her jacket, she wasn't wearing it, but instead it was placed over her shoulder. Many first suspected sexual assault, but there was no sign of that. In fact, the coroner said Wilma was still a virgin. There were no drugs found in her system either. Even more, her lungs had water and sand in them. The sand was traced as coming from Copacoda, a beach south of Ostia. It's believed Wilma had died around 18 hours from the time that her body was discovered. Initially, police speculated it was suicide, but her family insisted this was impossible. As further inquiries were made, police said Wilma's death was the result of an accident, that she probably took off her shoes and waded into the water when she fainted and then drowned. Officials then said her body was swept from Ostia, where she was last seen, towards Torviancia, where she was found. The family accepted this version of the story. But there are plenty of theories surrounding her death. 
Even though her family insisted she was a good girl, many believe Wilma wasn't as innocent. In fact, there was speculation she left her home that day because she got into a fight with her mother. Then months later, a young actress named Adriana Bisaccia said she was with Wilma in an orgy party at a villa in Copacoda. The party had wealthy and famous people, including Piero Picconi and Ugo Montagno. Adriana added that the women were often actress hopefuls, and she and Wilma participated in the orgy where huge quantities of drugs were freely given. Although it seems crazy, the sand found in Wilma's lungs comes from Copacoda. Back then, it was a difficult place to head to unless you were invited or had someone else to take you there. When threatened by slander, the actress retracted her statement. However, another actress then came forward stating Wilma was actually Ugo Montagno's mistress. Both Piccioni and Ugo faced trial for Wilma's death on January 21, 1957. However, both provided solid alibis, and so both were acquitted. Today, it's still unclear what happened to Wilma Montesi. Number 2. Roberto Calvi On June 18, 1982, at 7.30 a.m., a postal clerk on his way to work saw the body of a man hanging from the scaffolding beneath Black Fairs Bridge in London. The man was dressed in a gray suit, white waistcoat, and blue shirt. He had shoes and socks on, but no belt or tie. On his wrist was an expensive watch, stopped at 1.52 a.m., and in his pockets, jacket, and even in his crotch area were inserted 12 pounds worth of heavy bricks. The man's wallet contained approximately $13,000 in cash and different currencies. His passport stated his name to be Roberto Calvini, but in reality, he was president of Banco Ambrosiano, Roberto Calvi. How did a powerful Italian banker end up dead in London? Apparently, Calvi had disappeared from his Rome apartment on June 10, 1982. He fled the country to Venice before catching a private plane to London. Calvi first started working at the bank at age 27 as a clerk and climbed his way to become president in 1975. He transformed the bank into a prominent private bank, opening offshore companies in Luxembourg and the Bahamas while acquiring a Swiss chapter. Throughout the bank's rise, he also made powerful friends. He had high-ranking connections with people from the Vatican, the Masons, as well as those affiliated with organized crime. But Calvi's troubles soon started. In 1977, Milan was inundated with banners accusing irregular activity by Calvi at Banco Ambrosiano. A criminal investigation was underway, and Calvi was tried in 1981. He was given a four-year suspended sentence. After posting bail, he tried to salvage the bank as much as possible, even writing a letter to Pope John Paul II wanting to explain things and giving him a warning. But he never heard back. With his return to jail looming, he decided to make a run for it. He was smuggled out of the country and ended up in London where his body was found. The day before, June 17th, the bank's board members ousted Calvi from his position. It was discovered the bank had $1.4 billion in debt. Later that day, his long-term personal secretary, 
Graziella Carocher fell or jumped to her death from the bank's window. Some say her death, too, was not an accident. During investigations, the police proclaimed Calvi's death was a suicide. This raised a lot of eyebrows, though, because the circumstances of his death were very unusual. His family challenged the verdict, and a new investigation began for murder. Police believe Calvi was taken to the bridge area via boat and was strangled from there. He was then hanged from the scaffolding, and the fact that there were no traces of any bridge paint or indications Calvi had ever held the bricks at all ruled out suicide. British and Italian authorities agreed it was the mafia who planned and carried out Calvi's death since he was involved in money laundering for the organization. Five men were charged in 2003, but it resulted in an acquittal despite several appeals. In the end, the ruling only proved someone killed Calvi, but as to who exactly remains unknown. Number 1. Michel Sindona Born in Messina, Michel Sindona rose from his humble small-town beginnings to become a self-made millionaire. After graduating with a law degree from the University of Messina in 1942, he moved to Sicily, then Milan, where his skill with laundering money and evading taxes earned him the respect of mafia bosses. By 1957, he was closely tied to the Gambino family in the U.S., managing funds from their heroin sales. Just a year after this, Sindona bought and put up his first bank. He became good friends with future Pope Giovanni Montini and acquired more banks in the process. Huge amounts of money were transferred from Sindona's banks into the Vatican, Swiss banks, and he also dealt with large-scale money laundering operations. He was so successful that in 1974 he was declared as Man of the Year by the United States Ambassador to Italy, John Volpe. But the proclamation was too soon because April of that year the stock market crashed and Franklin Bank in Long Island, of which Sindona had a controlling interest, suffered a profit loss of 98%. Soon other banks owned by Sindona also began to fail. He tried to use laundered money to save his banks, but it was too late. On July 11, 1979, the commissioned liquidator of Sindona's banks, Giorgio Ambrosoli, was found murdered. It was linked back to Sindona. Apparently, he had hired an American assassin. While indicted in the United States, Sindona faked his own kidnapping in 1979. This was so he could take an 11-week trip to Sicily before he was scheduled to appear at his fraud trial. After he was released from his kidnapping, he surrendered to the FBI. Sindona was convicted in 1980 of 65 counts, including perjury, fraud, misappropriation of funds, and issuing fake bank statements. While serving at a federal prison in the United States, he was awaiting extradition from the Italian government for murder. Sindona did everything he could not to be extradited, but failed. He was found guilty of murdering Ambrosoli and was sentenced to life in prison in Italy. Sindona was isolated in his own cell with reinforced doors. He was watched over by 15 guards in continuous rotation, and his every move was watched by security cameras. His coffee, like every morning, was delivered to him in a locked metal container inside a thermos. 
As he drank his coffee on the morning of March 20, 1986, the guards watched him through the peephole and heard him screaming, They have poisoned me before collapsing. He died two days later. It was discovered his coffee was laced with cyanide. Many suspected he was killed, but investigators said it was likely Sindona committed suicide and just made it look like a murder, and so the case was closed. So there were five frightening unsolved murders in Italy. From pop stars, ordinary citizens, and men of power, murder and death honors no one. These five people suffered unusual deaths, and each one of them continues to remain a mystery today. If you enjoyed watching this video, then please subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell. We have new videos every Wednesday and Saturday that we know you want to check out. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you soon. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.